Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with State Corporate Training. Thank you to Craig Hass and his team for their ongoing support of the Collisions YYC podcast. Leadership, a term that conjures up everything from images of the hard charging Hollywood portrayal to the introverted, quiet CEO who emerges from their office with a magical path forward for the organization. No matter what comes to mind for you, I guarantee it'll be different than it was pre pandemic. After the past 18 months, the demand on leaders at all levels of the organization has changed. No longer can you rely on technical expertise alone. People on your team need you to be more human, and more importantly, human in a way that matters to them. Through my interviews with the team at SAIT, I was introduced to a more balanced approach to leadership, one that was truly a game changer for me and my perspective around what it is to be a successful leader. They call it the six leadership intelligences. Adaptability, emotional, collaborative, social, psychological, and digital intelligences. At first blush, aside from a couple, you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, what do these have to do with leadership? I'm here to tell you everything. We live in a world with a rapidly changing landscape that requires the need for human connection that has never been more important. How can you manage change if you are unable to create deep, safe, and meaningful connections with people around you? Simply put, you can't. Whether it's an entire organization, a division, a field office, or a small team, if you're not equipped with the intelligence you need, all the smarts in the world won't bring a group of people together to make the opportunities and challenges facing your organizations today. SAID is here to help you and your teams put together a package to put the skills in place for a safe, inclusive, and high-performing culture. To find out more about what they can do for you and your organization, please check them out at sate.ca slash corporate training, or better yet, open up your email and contact Craig Hess directly at craig.hess at sate.ca, that's H-E-S-S. He would love to chat with you and walk you through your needs and how they can put together a solution for you and your team. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Uh, Randy Thompson. How are you, Randy? <laughs> Great. Great to be here. Great day to be here. Thanks for coming on the show, Randy. You are chairman and CEO at Valhalla Private Capital, which is uh, I don't, a name I've certainly heard before. Haven't had a lot of opportunity to interact with you guys. So when I had a chance to chat with you, I kind of jumped at it. So let's just start. Let's make it simple. We're in the elevator. We got X amount of floors. Hey, Randy, good to meet you. Tell us about Valhalla Private Capital. That's <laughs> uh, great. Valhalla is one of the largest uh, uh early stage capital organizations in Canada. So we've funded over 300 companies, putting about $75 million into the ecosystem. I specifically am an angel investor. Uh, I've invested in almost 100 companies and funds right now. And uh, we basically are a large dragon's den that helps people manage exits, uh, do institutional capital raise, or raise their first round of capital. So we've been Pretty, pretty active. I think the last thing I'd want to tell everybody is that we have uh, two sides to our business in that we do equity, Dragon's Den, angel investing, but we also have a debt fund through OKR Financial. OKR, and is that uh, is that John Dewar OKR? Is that where that came from? Am I ah, no. Right? Yeah, that, that's funny. It's a, we, we got there. Everybody was using the lingo of KPIs, and we had Old Kent Road Financial. And then all of a sudden, you're right. Everybody went KPIs to the new lingo OKR. So we just have to, is this long enough for the new uh, lingo to come along? <laughs> you have no fair. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, hey, let's start. And I think one of the things I love to do in the show is also kind of just level the playing field. And it's easy to make assumptions. And you save words like just right at the bat, early stage capital. Let's set some let's set some parameters, kind of what's early stage versus you mentioned angel versus, you know, the friends and family round. Like, where do you guys typically come in? And maybe even a little bit of the timeline of, uh, you know, we've got everything from two person startups in Alberta to some fairly substantial large raises that have been in the news over the last couple of years. It's not all. It's not all created equal, and I think it can be pretty confusing if it's not a world that you live in every day. 
Ah, that's a great way to set the stage because I think even people that have been in the business long enough get their their terminology mixed up. And so okay. when we when we talk about capital, we should probably talk about there's two kinds of capital. I think what what we spend a lot of time talking about is growth capital. And so you're going to hear language around stages of investing, and that usually goes with growth capital. So if you're listening okay. to the show and you're happy to be a you know, you and your your spouse own a 7-Eleven, you should never be talking about angel investing and Series A and friends and family rounds. You, you have a you have a stable small business that uses very standard capital things like borrowing, and you might have a friend and family give you some money as an equity partner, but that's not what growth capital is about. So we'll okay. park that one for now, and we'll focus on growth capital because that that's a I'm Really, I really like the way you framed that. So growth capital, if you think about, can be up to six to 10 stages of funding. And a growth company usually ends up being a technology company because the point of growth capital is that you basically, for every dollar I invest as a growth capitalist, <laughs> my expectation is to try to get five to 10 times my money back. And the reason is it's because it's ridiculously risky. And if I don't like risk, I can lend money to my my friends who are running a 7-Eleven or I could give it to my wealth manager and they can go put it on the public markets. So we are talking about private technology companies who have a really good opportunity to return big pools of money to investors. And then uh, I'll, I'll wind it up here and we can take it where you want to go next. But there are stages for these growth capital companies that start from the very, I have an idea, we should get some money together for our idea. Hey, I built a prototype. Holy cow, the prototype works. Uh, looks like Suncor really wants us to turn this prototype into a, into a widget. We better get some capital. Holy cow, we got to finance our first 100 widgets. That's a stage of capital. Then I like to say, holy shit. We need a thousand widgets. And then there's the WTF. We need a million widgets in an office in New York. And so those are very clear delineations we make about what type of capital we're in. And then on the other side, the capital lists, we all have our favorite places we like to invest. Some people like the super higher and the lower you are in the uh, stages I uh, told you about, the more risky you are. But once you get to a million units in an office in New York, there's less risk, but there's still some risk. So so each round, uh, they take a certain amount of equity that allows you to manage risk. And from the from the thinking of like the different groups like yourself, how many different, I guess, would one organization, and maybe I know the answer, how much specialization do you find in those different stages that you just laid out in terms of the people that are really comfortable and not only with certain sectors, their favorites and things they understand, but we're really comfortable coming in at the third step in the, w, the WTF or, and also I'm assuming there's bigger chance for upside because of also the higher risk profile versus when you're the million, the million widgets in an office in New York, your return is probably going down, but it's kind of different money that's going to show up. Am I kind of phrasing that back to you oh, correctly? Yeah, you got to bang on. I mean, think about Uber. Like, okay. there's, there's some groups, uh, basically Union Square Ventures in New York, I'll pick on uh, Fred Wilson. They got into Uber super early. There's a guy who's making okay. his career off of it, Jason Calacanis. He got into Uber super early. 
And their returns, of course, from the time where, let's say they bought Uber at, at $10 a share, when they went, when they got out publicly, they got out like absolute bandits. On the other side, everybody knows the story of SoftBank. SoftBank yes. basically <laughs> put too much money into Uber at too high a price so that when Uber went public, SoftBank actually got their posterior handed to them. So that's and then the valuation analogy. was upside down at that time versus what they bought in at versus what it actually went public at. <laughs> you, yeah, bang on. So Uber is a great example of what happens in our industry. The only difference is what we usually do is it's private. You don't see it. It's not visible. It's not publicly traded. Yes. These kind of okay. stories play out every single day in what we'll call the private capital market. And, and that's what angels and venture capitalists play at. But, but to your original question, which is you're on a roll, you know, how do you find or determine who you should be playing with or hanging out with in this space is a great question. And so there's a lot of uh, what I'll call rock star, um, I don't know, rock star persona that goes with the whole angel dragon's den venture space. And yes, some of that, there's, there's a Hollywood twist to this for sure that I think is quite prevalent. 100%. <laughs> Hundred percent, but to be blunt, that Hollywood persona, that Hollywood twist, as you call it, is actually super important. So a lot of people will hunt out um, an individual who has a, has had a great exit. So as an example, let's pick on um, you can pick on Slack, you can pick on uh, Shopify, you can pick on you know here in Calgary, James Lockery uh, had a great big exit with Wave, and Ray Mazika had a great big exit with Bioware. So you get you get these personas where they've built and sold a company in the space you're trying to build and sell a company. So what okay. ends up happening is you have a lot of startup people who are doing a SaaS play. That's language for software as a service. They'll go and find the rock star in their space who sold the biggest SaaS deal in Canada and hunt that rock star down and say, please, 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 please give me some capital and show me how you did it. However, yeah, that's, I think no. that's an important thing. It's not just, it's not just, I'm not just looking for the money. I'm also looking for the how a little bit too. And that's an interesting exactly. kind of layer to that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Whereas when you go to, and you've seen the show, when you go to a quote, quote, dragon's den, like, like I, I, you have a lot of what we'll call generalists. Like um, mm. I, I've had some exits, but even my first company I built and sold that uh, turned me into an angel investor I didn't do billions of dollars. I, I got what I have uh, uh, called publicly my kiss my sister return. Like it was like, yeah. you know, I got my I got my money back and a little bit more. But I, I went through the experience. And when I went and like, so I've done actually much better as an investor than I have as an entrepreneur. But that oh, doesn't I like that. Mean, That's interesting. That, that, yeah. that feels like a whole nother podcast just right there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is actually it's really interesting about the difference between being an operator and an investor the two are not the same things. And a lot of a lot of startups actually miss that point that just because I was a great operator doesn't make me a great investor and vice versa. But to my point, when you get to a, an angel group or a dragon's den, you have a lot of generalists. You have a lot of, you know, maybe you have doctors. Maybe you have, um, you know, a lot of oil and gas engineers became uh, investors, right? You have you have a lot of general investors. So you have a, a pool of capital tied with people who've done startups, but maybe not that rock star status you would have if you just went and hunt, hunted down those people. And and so okay. that is a, that's a great, the reason I'm spending so much time on this is that's the great 
uh, dilemma in our industry is that as a generalist, you want to get into the great deal flow. But on the other side, the rock stars getting access to the great deal flow. So, so trying to get into those same deals and not get what we'll call leftover deals. And, and the reason I, I like to stratify the deal piece is that it's, if you're a startup listening to this podcast, you should be very aware that if, you know, what happens is if people love your deal, there's going to be this almost piranhas fight for this, you know, piece of meat. And if you're not getting that piranha fight for your piece of meat, it's a really good opportunity for you as a startup to take a step back and say, okay, what do we need to do to make ourselves more interesting, more higher up on that that deal food chain? I spent a lot of time actually on other podcasts talking about the deal food chain and how it's important to the whole ecosystem. So I certainly resonate with, hey, if, if our value proposition isn't strong enough, there are people who are willing to fight over us, we need to go back and relook at it. That seems obvious. Curious, is there any, and this sounds like a success problem, but you're in that piranha fight. Does that also create other challenges in terms of maybe you 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 get you, you get too big for your britches, as my grandmother would say, in terms of now, oh man, I have the thing, man, I'm going to evaluate this super high and kind of almost back to the soft choice Uber situation where that could actually feels like it could get you into way almost more trouble, <laughs> a trouble not even realized you're getting into it by letting this thing kind of run away with itself. Is that, am I also looking at that with the right lens? Yeah, I, to be honest, that's, that's uh, what, you know, go back and listen to your last 30 seconds. You basically, you basically described what we would call a bubble. That if you get into <laughs> okay. this place where, <laughs> yeah. where too many people think they're too smart, then, you know, you create a bubble, but then the bubble gets reinforced because you get a couple of really good exits uh, look at me, I'm the smartest guy in the room or a woman in the room. So in fact, I would contest one of the things we should be talking about is the fact that we are in a massive bubble right now. And we not, I don't think anybody saw that coming out of COVID. But interestingly, it's not an investor bubble. It's actually a bubble that's beneficial, beneficial right now to entrepreneurs. Because what's happened is everybody spent COVID not spending any money. So they basically right-sided their personal balance sheets, which means there's a lot of money that's ready to go and actually be invested. So we had huge pools of capital sitting on the sidelines pre-COVID, which is why SoftBank was over-investing too much money into things like Uber. And we went through COVID and we exacerbated that problem. We've actually created bigger pools of capital. So when, when investors are seeing a great deal, they're piling into this deal like it's like water going into a sinking boat. And they're going, no, 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 you have to take my money. Don't take the other person's money. And what's happening is that in order to take all the money, entrepreneurs are driving their valuations up to these ridiculous numbers. And we as investors are To find room in the boat. We're bailing it. it out just so we can put more, pour more water. Oh, that's interesting. You got it. So you that you know the the pretty person at the ball, whether that's a man or a woman, has now become the businesses that are out there looking for funds, which feels great. But the word bubble usually is followed by, unfortunately, a bubble popping. Like that's the Correct. implication of the word bubble. It doesn't just expand. Eventually, you overinflate the balloon and it blows up. But now, Correct. now we're getting to the crystal ball of when is that going to be, and how long do we ride that bubble, and who makes who makes out like a bandit before it pops, and then who's left holding the bag when it when it does. <laughs> it's a great question. I actually think this will be a long bubble. Yeah, so I'll go okay, out there and say, I think this is yep. a problem for the next four or five years. But what the bubble creates 
is hmm. exactly so I love this Uber thing. We keep picking on poor Uber. <laughs> we uh, we picked an undertoning theme for sure that everybody can exactly. Imagine the board meetings in Uber uh, a year before you go public. <laughs> you got you got Fred Wilson and all the startup you know benchmarks and all those early stage VCs sitting on one side of the board going, "Let's go public! Let's go public! Oh my goodness, I'm going to make forty eight times my money. Why aren't we public, Travis?" On the other side, you've got SoftBank going, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, we can't go public because as soon as we go public, we're going to have to show all of our investors what a bloodbath we got into. Yeah, yeah. We, it solidifies the situation, right? <laughs> exactly. And and it creates stasis. Like nobody, everybody's frozen, right? And it's interesting. Um, it'd be really interesting when the book comes out, when Travis is kicked out of the chair and Calgary and Garrett Camp is there now, hooray. Um, why was was Travis really in a Me Too thing? Or was Travis's Me Too thing the reason to create the, create the stress? But at the end of the day, there were, you had to create a stress at, at, uh, at that board level to either choose to stay private and hope to grow into your valuation or go public so all the early stage. And I think that's what's going to happen in the next five years. You're going to get a ton of investors who over got got involved in a company that was overvalued, and the, actually the best thing for them to do is just sit on it longer. So while we're complaining in private markets right now, we're seven to ten year exits. I think we're going to actually see them get longer as a as a result of this bubble. Does that does that have an interesting effect on then where the focus and attention goes to actually creating value in this company of not just constantly build and build and sell, build and sell, or build and bring to bring another group on? You actually have to really start driving true customer value to then equate to hopes and dreams versus no, this company actually is doing something in the world. That's an interesting shift from a like a buzz and a high vibration to actually more of a deep, steady state of quality. If, if I'm, again, I'm putting on my, yeah. my long robes and my crystal ball here. Randy. No, you're doing great because, because you think about the other day or the other times, right? This thing called the Valley of Death. And it used to be that the pre-revenue <laughs> yeah. space before you got a customer, before you got product market fit and all the lingo, that used to be the place that was the toughest place to to you know get funding. Now you can actually get more funding. You get a better funding off your idea than you do, and and, and so you get this high valuation in this idea space. But as you do that one month of execution, or that that uh, long six months or seven months of execution. And you fail at execution, guess what happens? Your valuation goes down. So I think now it's not going to be the valley of death where the funding cycle starts to dry up. I think it's going to be on all the companies that don't execute on an idea. So I'm agreeing with you is that that is going to be one of the uh, there are going to be, uh, you know, victims of this train crash. And I think that's one of them. It will be that execution round. Which fundamentally means back to your, you know, something I, I boxed on our, on the first page of my notes here, the word risk and how you're identifying that. Like we've got a, a bit of a FOMO happening of this fear of missing out of opportunity. And what happens if I don't get in today, it might be $5 more tomorrow, but then there's 
it feels like there's a reckoning, like that bubble of like, we all know not all startups are going to pay off. You said like high risk, high rate of return. Well, the reason that rate of return there is because I don't know what the number is, but a lot of those companies aren't going to make it. So there's going to be a lot of investors that probably got in, in some type of a fund, or they found a way to kind of pool their money. And maybe there's a lower level of sophistication as, as everybody, this democratization of kind of private equity. It feels like that there's going to be some people, some of us are going to get burned along the way as well. I'm also hearing whether it's at the end of the bubble or just along the journey. Yeah. And uh, we're trying, you know, you've, you've hit me right where I live is like, uh, and and by the way, for those sitting at home, we didn't actually set the questions up in advance. This has actually been very free flowing. I didn't want, I didn't want it to give the sense people like, wow, that was a great question. And then Thompson hit it. Man, he set him up perfectly. Did they rehearse (laughs) this or what? Zero rehearsal folks. This is as real as it gets. (laughs) Because, because we're actually, we've built a thesis inside of, how private capital to actually tackle exactly this problem. So, number one, I believe, I believe in the I believe in the democratization of private capital. Everybody should have the right to invest in these alternative asset classes and not feel like they're going to get fleeced. But number two is not every deal is a Silicon Valley Google deal. Number three is the really cool Silicon Valley Google deals have already been taken up by some of those super angels that we've already talked about. And, and number four is most Canadian companies exit at $24 million. And the reason I'm leaving that fourth one in, in there is that it says to me that if we can educate investors on the, what the realistic outcome of an exit is on the company they've just invested in, they will make different and better choices. So so let me go back. Am I whining about missing out on Silicon Valley deals? No, I'm not. Um, I believe that, you know, I've, I've gotten some great deal flow. In fact, one of the ones I'm really excited about, uh, we got the inside round on the founder of Ancestry.com. He's doing a new uh, search engine in audio called Soar, and me and uh, and my uh, group uh, we got we got first round access, pre revenue access to that. So I get a plus deal flow. I'm very excited about that. So I'm not whining that I've been cut out. But again, if you go back to premise number one, I I'm actually not here to kind of feed my own pockets on this. I believe in the democratization of private capital, and I believe that everybody should have access to it. But we already know. If you are a, a, a dentist trying to get into the space, nobody's showing you Uber. The, the tech insiders have already taken that, which goes to your point. In order to get in those, you've got to get into a fund or you've got to get into a pool or you've got to be hanging out with an insider to get those deals. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be okay because don't be planning for a $300 million exit in every one of your investments. You will get killed. You need to figure out which ones you should have FOMO about and which ones you should actually go, you know what, this is a really good company and really good companies in Canada exit at 25 million. So doing my math, I have to do this in order to get out at six, seven, eight times your money. The cool part about doing that is you get more exits at the 25 million as opposed to a one in a hundred exit at the 300 million. So it's, it is, it's portfolio management, if that makes sense. Sorry, I can I was gonna say, it comes back to, to kind of your diver- diversification, whether it's somebody managing a mutual group of mutual funds or EFT, it's, it's just scaling up that same model of go hang out with people that really know what they're doing, that you trust and have connection with. And 
basically blend your investments out over don't 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 just chase the winning lottery ticket because that's a pretty unrealistic you know what what is it um what the, I, go, I, read, I heard something the other day it was like creating a viral video is to marketing like a, creating a wealth plan is to winning the lottery i get just something about it made me laugh it's like that's not a financial plan nor is it a marketing right. strategy and so i really and i've been seeing more of it kind of coming in western canada so maybe even let's talk about what's here in western canada versus you know canada as a whole versus the u.s again in the u.s do you see more access and i'm only assuming yes to to structures like we just talked about where the dentist or the professional or the small entrepreneur who's got some excess cash and wants to get involved. Where are we in the Canadian cycle or even Western Canada in, in getting more mature with what I'm assuming is a more mature ecosystem south of the border? Yeah. And, and, and I actually think um, it may not, it may not be. Um, and I used to fall for this. So I have to, I have to put out my bias when I built uh, Valhalla, it was about the bias that, Investors don't know what they're doing. If they just saw great tech deal flow, you know, they they would they would invest just like Silicon Valley. We're just not mature enough. The Valley's more mature than us. I've actually really flipped on that. So what I'm actually going to okay. start, I'm going to use some language that, by the way, this is I'm using for the first time because you're making me think about this. But Boston and New York and the Valley isn't more mature. It's different. But the rest of the world, the 97% of the world that we feel like we are actually working in. They, they have a very sophisticated – we're in our third generation of the, you know, uh, Dragon's Den investing. If I go back to 2003, pr prior to the show, that's when I was doing it with a couple guys. Mike Boker was doing it in Vancouver. I think there was one group out in North, Nova Scotia. When the show came on, I, I was asked if I would be a judge on the show, uh, picking the deals to go on. I've got a face for radio because there was nobody else doing it. Like that's how early we were. Right. That's that's two thousand. Is that O three when that is that O three when that show came out? I that oh five. Man, I'm aging myself because that feels like it was a handful of years ago. But that's man, that's more than a handful. That's a bunch yeah. of years ago. It's O five or O six. It's pretty scary. Somebody can Google it. But you think about it, we're three generations, like three funding yeah. cycles away from that. We had the 08 crash. We had the we had the downturn in seventeen. You know, we've had the IPO uh, wins of two thousand and twenty and twenty one, like. So, yes, we have in Western Canada become very, very highly sophisticated in both marketplaces. We have some Albertans that have done extraordinarily well in the Valley uh, model. We've had okay. uh, some great wins lately in the what I'll call the Canadian model or the, the global model, I'll call it, because, again, we, okay. we oh, wring okay. our hands. I, like, I appreciate if, that different that differentiator. Yeah, yeah, because mm -hmm. we wring our hands as if we're we're behind and oh shit, like things are bad. But the reality is, like I've I've actually taken our model to thirty countries. I've been very blessed since two thousand sixteen, and I find the questions are all the same. So I was going like, <laughs> and and by the way, the question is always, how do we become Silicon Valley? And I actually go, well, actually you don't. And by the way, any of your deals that are screaming hot, they're leaving. They're leaving Calgary. They're going to San Francisco. They're leaving New Orleans. They're going to San Francisco. They're leaving uh, Belgium. They're going to San Francisco. And a bunch of us who have played in that Valley game, I'd include myself in that, we will invest and we will oversubscribe that round as it leaves our ecosystem. Uh, by the way, will you take another 10000 as you go? No, the suitcase is already full. Okay, you know, call, call me when I get my check back. Those people will leave and they will participate in that ecosystem. But here in Western Canada, we have 
we have great companies. We have we have Jobber. We you know we, we can go through the list of Canadian companies that kind of stayed mm-hmm. and and have done well. You know, we obviously skip the dishes is one that's been pulled out over the last five years. In the last two years, three years now, Solium, Benevity. Uh, mm-hmm. We have some we have some companies that took twenty years to become billion dollar companies, or they took yeah 10 the twenty years year overnight be- success success stories kind of thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But everybody did well along the path, and we we created a a, a group of uh, uh, people that can actually run and operate big companies. We've created mm-hmm. uh, investors that have a win. We've created you know publicly traded opportunities for other investors. We have solid, you know, if we were back in the old days of a shopping mall, we have some really, really good anchor tenants in our shopping mall here in Western. <laughs> That's an interesting metaphor these days as, as that world seems to yeah. be undefined as, yeah. as we, as we roll into whatever we're rolling into. <laughs> I just dated <laughs> the, the, myself. The new future, whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think my audience, I think, I think we're, I think we're going to get it. I, I do appreciate what your comment around, like, we want to be like Silicon. No one's going to be Silicon Valley because they're Silicon Valley or Kitchener Waterloo, or even what happens in Toronto, the opportunity for us to be who we are as Western Canada and Calgary. And you made a comment about, you know, lots of success stories that are a little bit more in the media. What are you seeing on the lowers on the, I don't want to say lower, but on the smaller side, the, maybe the companies that don't make the headline, the companies that raise a uh, million dollars or they raise yeah. even half a million bucks on that real, like let's get things going back to the early stages of the, you know, 50 widgets or the 10 widgets, not necessarily yeah. the million widgets. Yeah. How, how, how is that ecosystem maturing here? What do you, what do you see? Opt- optimism? I, I'm hearing yeah. good things, but I always want to know the real, the real brass tacks. Yeah. I, you know, if, if we think about a BC forest, right? Like a, you know, you can't say this in Alberta cause there's no such thing as under undergrowth. Right. But you know, you get these BC, you get the huge trees, but the ferns and the things that are going underneath that forest is really important. And, you know, there's been the rainforest uh, movement here in Alberta. So using that analogy, I've got I've gotten three exits in the last eight months. Uh, okay. One of them was one of them was a deal I did in 2008. So that's not great. But I got eight and a half times my money. It was a it was a company that came and raised money in our early uh, Dragon's Den, but they're from England. I got a company that out of the blue a year ago is in alternative uh, energies and uh, waste storage to power. Just sent me a dividend check out of the blue. And now I've got an opportunity to actually say, okay, I could actually now sell my shares and I would probably make four times my money and that'll be over four years. So that'd be four times my money with the dividend plus, right? Great uh, internal rate of return is how we measure things. Like, you know, if you did a year over year, what does that work out? Probably, you know, 14 to 19%. Then I got a third exit uh, and it came out of the blue. I'm trying to remember the numbers on that, but that was uh, that was a couple of weeks ago. No, sorry, I apologize, six months ago. Uh, but it was in that three to four times in 24 months space. And then I've got a couple of things in, in this venture debt space where I've got... Uh, um, yield coming back from a couple of investments where were convertible notes where the yield or the interest rate is actually paid instead of turned into more shares. And those are between 12 and 16%. So I have a comfortable little undergrowth portfolio going on. And like I've you said, you're not, blowing of, the roof, you're not blowing the roof off, but it's more of a consistent churn of retur- of, of good, reasonable, uh, well above market, if you just look at the everyday uh, well rate of returns. Market. 
Yeah. Correct. And would you say the risk for those companies that are three to four times over a kind of a three to four year period, was the risk also a little bit lower or was the risk equally as high? Just back to that, that correlation between return and risk, which is such a, that's the ultimate formula, right? We're all trying to chase. (laughs) I believe that that's where I made a mistake as an investor. I probably invested at a, I I didn't de-risk it to be okay with the Forex. So, you know, just being okay. honest, uh, I, okay. like if okay. I th- yep. if I think about that, that's a great question. Should have I done that investment because I was planning for eight, right? I was planning for eight and six or seven years, right? So the one was okay. eight, but it was over too long. The other ones were below eight, but they were shorter. So, you know, I've I've landed okay. And again, like you say, you're you're beating the market, which means you're getting returns. Nobody feels sorry for you. But you're right. I probably <laughs> definitely didn't not. Do a, <laughs> I probably didn't do a good enough job de-risking my uh, de-risking my opportunity. Hey, this is, this is maybe an in the weeds question, but I, lo- I love where you're going with this. So we say we went back. We jumped in our good old trusty time machine. You and I in the DeLorean, and we said, "Okay, let's go back. We're gonna we're we're here again at that point. What would you have done to de-risk that at that point? Kind of knowing what you know now, and obviously we you know how to, uh, then then tomorrow we can make a new decision based on that idea. So what what yeah. would we have done now that we're back four years ago? Mm-hmm. This is a very technical conversation. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Randy, I'm following uh, you down the rabbit hole or you're following me. I don't know totally. who's leading here. <laughs> exactly. By the way, it is 2021. I, I put a picture up on my LinkedIn of uh, of uh, uh, the two uh, Back to the Future guys in 2021. That was kind of cool. Good reference, by the way. Yes, yes. And yeah, sorry no, for yes, all you. You're right. I didn't even realize that when I brought the DeLorean in. I just figured you yeah. and I, we'd have a good time. <laughs> it's yeah. like something would be for, good. For all the millennials and Gen Zs, just Google DeLorean and Back to the Future. So yeah, yeah, um, you'll yeah you'll you'll figure you'll figure, if you don't figure it out, it's up to you. Just go with it. <laughs> so we did something really significant in 2009 in our group, and that was to have Paul Singh in the 500 Startups Group come up and talk to us about you know their their what we call an investment thesis. So okay. in when I started angel investing. I made the mistake of being a good operator who had a good exit, which makes me the smartest person in the room. So therefore, if I write checks into other people's businesses, I will be successful. And magic I went zero. <laughs> magic will happen. I went zero for four on my first investments. And the reason is, number one was I learned about something called a mad founder. Uh, didn't know those things existed. They are they are irrational geniuses who should never run businesses. And guess what? There's well, we're, a we're, we're, we're holding the line with, uh, with doc from we're like, we're sticking with our, with our back to the future theme too. When you think of mad yes. scientists. Yes. The guy can build a flux capacitor, but do you want him building it into a business? That is, that is the number one mistake of uh, new angel investors. Believing an inventor is a business person. Number, number two mistake is, uh, understanding that the inventor doesn't want to give over control, that they they believe yeah. that you should write them a check and get out of the way. Uh, my third mistake was I actually then went into a business and went, oh, if I was running it, I would do this, 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 and this. But the difference between being an operator and I, I, I you know, I talk about you're either a passenger in the Uh, front seat which is really nice because you probably have the map and they ask questions about hey what exit do we get off on but then you're still not driving but in some investments you can be all the way back at the yellow school bus where the driver's telling you to shut up and sit down 
And, and so you have to make a decision inside of your, your thesis where you want to sit in that bus. And, and where I'm going is, uh, if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, don't write big checks. 500 startups told you to write small checks over three rounds. That was great advice in 2009. Second piece of advice is make a determination early where I want to sit in the vehicle, but know that I will never be driving the vehicle. And then number three was really spend time on your investment thesis. And my partner, Jan Letterman's just actually created a one pager. It's taken us, you know, again, we're learning lessons as we go. Uh, We've been talking about investor thesis since 2009. It's 2021. And Jan has actually just put together a sheet of paper that's going to help our members uh, think about how do you feel about engineering? How important is team? What, where in that risk thing you and I talked about, uh, where do you like, where's your risk tolerance? Then we have this thing called exit conviction. How convinced are you that this is going to be a 10x or how convinced are you you should just lend them money and have them return it as a as a interest on a loan? That's We call that exit conviction. So this whole thing goes to having an investment thesis. And I spent probably wait 15 years of my career going, oh, what the hell? This looks like a good opportunity. Well, the, yeah, with the, the wild, with almost a little bit of the Hollywood version, which are to me, all those things you described, the mad founder, the, all the things that make for a great, you know, <laughs> sitcom, but don't necessarily make for a solid foundation <laughs> for what you're really talking about. <laughs> That's so true. So true. Yeah. And, and you see it in institutional uh, investors too, <laughs> trying to get into the space. They have the same problems angels do. You know, if you're not born and bred from the Valley, uh, you know, a lot of corporate finance groups try to get into venture capital and they make a lot of the same mistakes angels do when they don't come from the space. Like anything that, assuming a false sense of deeper understanding or maybe better skill, and we're so guilty just because I'm successful over here, just because I was, you know, and maybe some athletes, but just because I'm a good baseball player doesn't mean I'm a good football or soccer player. But, you know, again, you have the odd athlete that makes that transition, but for the most part, that those visions of grandeur can really get you into trouble. And I do appreciate that. Nothing nothing will cloud your judgment like like a prior success, right? <laughs> yes, correct. You know what? It's funny. I, I'm a big Seattle Seahawks fan. I've got uh, season tickets. And our great big star receiver, the guy's just this monster, DK Metcalf. And I, and, and I just assumed he's such a beast. He's got to be great at everything. Well, they showed him playing in a charity softball game. And he struck out. And I was just like, it crushed my soul that this massive beast of a human being wasn't just good at all the sports. It was crazy. What That actually his specialization was, his, what was his secret power? What was his secret exactly. power? Exactly. Yeah. Um, looking at Western Canada, when we talk about, you know, and you've touched on it a little bit, but it, it always at the, at the opportunity to get better. I guess if we were going to look at, you know, wave, waving the magic wand of how do we improve or, or I don't know if to use the word improve. How do we set up this market for the change that we all talk about? Oh, it's a transformation and we've got a new industries that are coming up and energy is still there, but it's going to be maybe play not as not the only role, but one of the roles when it, when it comes to some of that around capital and investment flowing into our province and also, you know, companies being in a good place to receive the right investments at the right time and also the right partnerships. Any things you would change if we, you know, we had the power, we've got the magic wand. What can we do to kind of accelerate maybe what's going to happen hopefully anyways over the next five years? How could we, how could we speed those things up or just make them a little more smooth? Yeah, that's a, a great, great way to uh, talk about it. I, I'm going to say the first thing is, hey, everybody, 
uh, we're okay. Like, I think there's sometimes we get this whole public policy, oh my God, you know, we're not Kitchener-Waterloo. Well, you know what? If you're in Kitchener-Waterloo right now with a startup, the reason you're having trouble getting your startup off the ground is you're actually not a Silicon Valley play. The Silicon Valley guys have come into Kitchener-Waterloo, picked off all the talent, moved them to California. So you can't find any talent. There's no startup cash. You are you are just like us. You're not a Valley play. And by the way, Toronto, <laughs> I got news for you. You're not that cool, right? Like we all have the same <laughs> problem. And the same problem isn't a problem. We've got great investors. We've got great ideas. You know, Alberta is a place that's learned to hustle and innovate since the beginning of time. That's not our problem. So I would say as we mature and get better at doing deals, we're seeing the upside of that. We're seeing more exits, seeing more sophisticated companies. It is interesting to me that in Edmonton and Calgary, there has not been the massive population hit that all of our friends in Eastern Canada thought we were going to get. So where did all those mm, people okay. go? Interesting. Right? You think about it. Where did all those mm. people go? Well, I would I would contest there's two places that we have a problem in Western Canada, and we might have actually self-selected how that, that got fixed. We're actually, uh, we are short on human resources. We don't have a what I'll call a vice president or a project manager layer. So we have great inventors. We have great corporate finance people who've been doing really big oil and gas deals. We have those pieces. But if you were to scale a company from 100 widgets to 10,000 widgets in 24 months, who's done that before in Alberta? Right. Interesting, all that talent, that that project manager and vice president of sales talent is actually probably sitting over in our oil and gas companies. And guess what our oil and gas companies don't need right now? So I actually think one of the things would be is to say, okay, how did we avoid taking the bloodbath we all expected we were going to get? Well, I actually think if you did uh, uh, some kind of um, chart, you'd actually see a lot of that transformation from energy into these growth companies that are that are populating everywhere. Hmm. So I think it's fixing itself, but I still believe that that's where we have a problem is we don't have enough um, uh, scale up, we call it. Instead of, you know, startup, the next level is scale up. We don't have a and lot I've of lot, experts. I've a, yeah, I've had a lot of guests on the show talk about, yeah, we can bring people in and we can mentor them and get them started and get their feet wet and give them kind of core skills. But that like eight to 12 year mid-level management, senior sales, product management, those things, we just were gapping and it's really hard to attract people. And the last 18 months has been, you know, a whole different thing. And I would argue that maybe the work remote and you can now maybe get access to town a little bit easier without having them disrupt. And you've got a 10, 12 year person, they've probably got a house and a family and kids in school. Picking up and moving across the country is probably a very different, you know, it's a very different proposition than I'm 21, just out of school. Sure, I'll move to Calgary. Sounds fun. Let's go check it out. <laughs> very, totally. very different, I think, kind of value story. <laughs> 100%. And then if it's not even Canadian, you're pulling somebody out of St. Louis, Missouri or something like that, right? So, you know, it gets worse and worse, worse and worse as you get further. The one place I, I do want to say uh, that I, I really get concerned about is actually on the finance side. You know, we had a really good opportunity. We had $100 million go in uh, from, you know, the Alberta Enterprise Corp. What we've done with that is we uh, uh, we brought in some talent from outside. We, we funded some people that have acumen and expertise in doing funding, but we did not actually create any talent pool that's either 
been a general partner, been an analyst. We didn't create a pool of Alberta talent that can now actually be fund managers and, and create that side of the business. So we have, you know, we have family offices doing it. We have groups like Valhalla or the 51 or CDL that are doing it. But these, these other funds came in with their limited partners and their GPs, and they hired junior people to look after their stuff in Alberta. I think we should be building a, a, a class of talent that can actually run funds, not sit in there and work in them instead. So interesting. So back to your, back to your even investor versus operators and really understanding kind of the talent dynamic or the skills gaps that exist under both those pillars and realizing how they need to be in play to balance, kind of balance that. Cause I'm looking at it as an equation or certainly how I've written it out as this kind of the two sides of the scale on my, on my paper here in front of me. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's a great visualization of that. Hmm. And really lacking in that area. And that's kind of like, well, if, if, if we have enough money, that'll solve the problem. But we still, that money needs to be stewarded, guided, put into play, it, it, you know, sitting in a bucket over somewhere or sitting in a wheelbarrow. And there's some been some bad media or some bad press around those funds. And what have we done? Like, what have we done with the OSA fund? What have we done with, you know, th- there's definitely a little bit of rhetoric around that that hasn't been positive. That kind of has been a little bit of finger pointing, I would say, over right. the last special year. And, and, who, and who was in charge of that who had like 20 years of, private capital. Again, we use that alternative asset class management, right? So I go back, I was a, I was a, in politics. I was in the uh, Getty government. I was the chief of staff for the technology minister at the time. And if you think about the Getty to Ralph Klein transition, again, I'm really dating myself now. Yeah, you're, but, Randy, you're, you're, I, I, don't, I, I have nothing to add to this part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, back in that Getty time, the thought of diversification was buy our way into some so we bought ourselves these tech companies called MagCan and uh, um, GSR and ChemBiomed and Biomira and Novatel. It's a tough, tough, tough story in this province. So what the government decided to do was buy themselves into diversification. And it cost the Getty government, their, you know, it, it brought the Ralph Klein era because every one of those companies I talked about became a failure. Uh, now, we can talk about the long-term benefits of all those companies because it's true. We had a we had an Alberta biotech boom through the '90s, and we, and Novatel stayed and became Nortel. And you know we, there was a lot of secondary benefit to that kickstarting a diversification strategy, but it cost the people in charge of spending the money on picking winners and losers. It cost them their jobs, and and you know that's where we're at again. Is that yeah, these are the you don't just give people a pile of money. You know, as I say, we've got to build this asset class of people. Well, it'd be tough. If I was in charge of that money, it'd be really hard for me to hand it over to some junior person and say, use this as your training wheels. Um, So it's, it's hard to do. It's, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And we don't have a good history of people who, who don't have fund management background picking good winners. They usually end up picking bad losers. I do appreciate you. You know, you you pulled on the thread a little bit. There, there is there is some stories. If you dig in, you talk to people that have been in Alberta for a while. There is stories like you just sold. Like, well, remember that time we tried to diversify here, and that kind of st- yeah. You know, there's reasons why some of the money has been slow, has been quick to sit on the sidelines and not jump in because when Correct. you peel back the layers, and we all have short memories, there is some examples I've encountered just through talking to people that again before my time or before I was really involved in the province that there were. This isn't the first time that this has been our tagline of diversification and. and 
and there's some reasons why people maybe go, well, we went back to what we knew because it worked and we went back to the resource sector and it paid off. Obviously, yeah. this last five, six years has, has, has pushed us in a direction of like, well, maybe we don't have a choice. Like, you know, hold your breath strategy didn't, 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 hasn't been working out, but yeah, very interesting to think about. N nothing is as easy as just going, well, here's where we are today. What is the history behind it? And how do we learn while some, some of that money might be a little bit more reserved because it, because it had been burned before. Mm -hmm. Just to be a little controversial uh, near the end of this, if we actually look at the outputs of, say, the Notley government's diversification plan, and we look at the outputs of the Kenny diversification plan, and of course, all the Notley types are going, well, Kenny didn't have a plan, but I'm bumping. And Kenny's people would say, well, <laughs> Notley just spent all the money. That's not a plan either. So so if we take look at the two non-plans, how's that for everybody listening? Okay. <laughs> For any controversy, wonder, you might just head, head right at it, Randy. Don't, even, right don't, don't, don't sidestep. I, I, I wonder if we'd actually be able to say that Notley's spend money, create the tax credits, all those things. And I was I was part of this group that supported this. I'm not really sure it made a huge dent compared to now where we don't have those tax credits, got our shred credits taken away, are, aren't doing a ton of support. I, I don't think there's a visible change between the two approaches actually hmm. in, in terms of outputs so yep uh i i throw that out that there for the data wonks to come back at me and go you're dead wrong you know <laughs> here's the number of people that were hired you know or or you could say well if it's better now of course it's because three years ago would not we spent the money now the chickens are coming home and all that stuff i don't i don't know i there i think a case can be made in canada that maybe this is a public policy area we should stay out of but if we're in it, I think we should be focusing on HR talent now. I think we're I think we're smart enough, sophisticated enough, uh, infrastructure infrastructurally deep enough to do this actually, and we're okay. So coming back to which is a, a common theme here is the talent, is the people, is the who we need to do what we need do we need done. So from mm -hmm. a you know the role the government does play in this. Is, that's where you kind of put your 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 kind of stake in the ground of like how does the government then influence incentivize the behavior that's going to lead to us having the quote unquote right people or the people we need I'll be careful with the right or wrong the people we need to take us forward into into what is again not the past the future is still for us to define but I'm hearing I'm hearing talent skill talent skill over and over again is an underpinning yeah. to your to your themes yeah I think so too I I really do I think there's lots of capital. I think there's lots of great ideas. I think there's a path forward. We have lots of access to Silicon Valley for our breakout unicorns. We have, uh, you know, we have lots of ways to finance and manage, you know, s Canadian tech companies. Uh, but we could actually do a better job of helping our scaling companies by by providing them the talent to scale faster. And I like the idea of like, well, it, those those high flyer. Valley style companies are going to go there and that's okay. Like just be okay with it versus this sense of loss. And why can't we hold them here? It's like, well, maybe they're not actually best for here or best for them to even be here. But right. Getting yes. really good at being, being who we are, which is not the Valley. I do really appreciate you. You're never going to be good at being someone else. Like that's just, is never a good strategy in life. Well, and, and I did, I spent a, a decade after, you know, getting out of, out of the legislature focused on, I, I was part of the guys, I called them Viking raiding parties. You know, we'd go down to the Valley, go to sounds a Sounds like C1, a good party, but anyway, that sounds yeah, like a whole other great, time. They're great parties, right? The Vikings, you know, Viking raiding. And it was, it was like, we'd go down, try to steal their investors, drink their food and beer, um, have them come up here and invest in our deals, right? 
And then when you when your Viking boats land in the valley, well, you realize 49 states, 10 provinces, and 132 countries are all trying to do the same thing you are. Yeah, like right. they're that's, they're trying to. They all know that's the, to, that's the land of milk and honey, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're trying to make they're trying to steal that lightning in a bottle. So it's really, I you know, I've 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 had I've had to come around. That's where I started, and now I think you know, like a parent, your seventeen year old child wants to leave home, and uh, and we have to be okay with it. Uh, that's I, that's I think where we're having trouble with the public policy thought about, you know what, hand them a bag of money, you know. Give them milk and cookies, stick them on the plane and let them go. I think that's, I think you're right. Well, and there's a few stories and it's starting that some of the, some of those individuals are also coming back home after they've done their thing, quote unquote, and coming back to this and wanting to reinvest. And, you know, Alberta has a quality of life and just a depth and like, it's an amazing place to be. I think there is, sometimes you got to go do what you got to do and then you got to come back. You know, you mentioned James Lockery. I know he had his success in Toronto and now he's back in town and playing yep. in that space here now. And there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of stories like that going on. So if, if you love them, let them go free. And anyway, let's not get too philosophical here at the end, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Break into song maybe fair. to see how it goes. <laughs> um, so, hey, you've given a lot of points and I love the one, two, three, three things I learned. So if we're just going to kind of wrap it from your perspective, you're sitting there across the table from one of those companies that isn't maybe on fire, but they've got something and it's just not quite there yet. Kind of top advice. And I'm assuming you're in that room often. It doesn't mean it's kind of like when my wife watches um, The Voice. Hey, you didn't win this year, but boy, come back next year. Just go and work on this and you'll be good. They always leave this sense of hope. So from that perspective, what's some of the things that kind of, what's that advice that you give across the table when you say, hey, don't go away, like come back, but do these things in the in the meantime. Is there is there kind of some consistent themes there you see? Yeah. I mean, uh, sales solves all problems. Like everybody knows that, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, if, if your customers love you, then your investors love you and the marketplace loves you, right? And if, you're, if your customers don't love you, that means you're selling just an okay product. Well, okay, what are you going to do to change that, right? Number two is love your business, but don't love your business, which, which is you have to have started a business because you love what you do, not because you thought this was something investors would give you a pile of money to test. But you also have to be at least disconnected enough from your business to know when it's time. Like, and and when it's time doesn't mean shut it down. Like if I look at my portfolio, I would actually say I probably only have what I'll call eight or nine deaths. I probably have out of the hundred, I've got way too many zombies. Like they won't die and they won't grow up. They're just sort of sitting you know, I, I, I love the Sean of the dead analogy. You know, he's hanging out in the shed playing Xbox with his zombie friend, right? I've got 99 zombies in my backyard playing Xbox. Um, <laughs> so, so that's got actually, check. <laughs> yeah, that's what your fate's going to be. It's not going to be death or Silicon Valley greatness. It's going to be every single day you go in, you work nine till nine and you figure out a way to break even stay alive another day. And you gotta, you gotta, have those those tough moments with yourself is it time to sell is the company maybe not where it should be because i'm actually not the right person for this role is it time to shut it down is it time to think about a new product like love your business because that's what you should be spending 12 hours a day on but no but just don't love it enough that you're not willing to make responsible decisions about it so 
And then number three, easier said than done. When you're when you're sitting in you know sitting in the vortex of that, but I I hundred percent, hundred percent. And by the way, we all have we're all narcissistic, egotistical maniacs who start companies and do funding. We never want to use the word because normal people don't do that. So you're absolutely right. It requires a little bit of that going on, or you'd never even do it. You'd never start in the first place. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And then my third one is, you know, you have you have one job as an entrepreneur, and that's to stay alive. And that means sometimes you have, you know, stock shelves, drive Uber. You know, I've heard some amazing stories of what people have had to do yeah. on the side to stay alive. But staying alive doesn't necessarily maybe mean you go for investors right away. Like you've got to figure a way to do this on your own and try to go, you know, as far as you can on your own until you hit growth. Because if you go for financing too early, you've done yourself a disservice You've done your investors a disservice, and you're not going to be able to raise the next round. So you 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 start raising money when you've kind of know you've got product market fit, and you're a growth company, not a not a startup. Way to bring it back to the first. You know, I underlined, circle right growth capital when you're in that phase and what you need to do to get there. I really appreciate it. nice nice way to bring it around. Put a nice little bow right at the end, Randy. Well done. Yeah, you'd almost <laughs> think I've done this Ra- before. <laughs> Once or twice, maybe. I'm suspicious. I'm for everyone you, to know that we did not rehearse this. I don't even think we chatted before. Maybe two minutes. No. On the phone. Yeah. Randy, love your insights, and I love. Thanks for not pulling your punches and just calling calling it a spade a spade and kind of giving our audience an opportunity to be like, all right, let's peel back the layers, let's peel back the lingo and the buzzwords and the holiday. Hollywood stuff we've all seen. And let's talk about what really happens when the rubber meets the road. And it can be exciting, but it's not all, it's not always glamorous is what I'm certainly hearing. And there's some real deep fundamentals and a bit of philosophy. Like you got to know your numbers, but you got to also be able to have a fireside chat with yourself. And I think that's, that's, that's a place that you can easily to talk about, except when you have to do it. That's another story. Oh, that's so true. Isn't it? Yeah. Randy, what's the best way? Obviously Valhalla Private Capital. You can find you guys online. If someone's curious, wants to learn more, reach out. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you guys or get a hold of you directly? To, uh, what's, yeah, I, what's, I find, what's the path? I find LinkedIn is the best and I'm in under R. Stuart Thompson because I, again, I just work around the world and sometimes Randy is not the best name in some global environments. So R. Stuart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. I saw, I, I saw it on your LinkedIn. I was like, I'm assuming yeah. there was a story, but yeah, yeah I, I got introduced there, to you as Randy, so I went for it. That's <laughs> that's right. That's fine. Uh, especially here in uh, Western Canada, that's for sure. So that's yeah. the best way. Okay. Uh, Twitter is at VA Angels CEO. And then uh, my email is Thompson at ValhallaPrivateCap.com. Randy, thank you so much for one, you're willing to come on the show and just being transparent and having a good chat. And also thank you for the positive impact you're having, you know, for companies and especially in, in, in Western Canada. It's guys like you and groups like yourself that are going to be p- certainly part of this quote unquote road ahead. And, you know, maybe, maybe we'll turn this, this diversification um, tagline into something a little more substantial this time and not be like, Hey, we've been talking about this for 30 years. And I, I, I do believe we're well on that path and I'm certainly optimistic about it. I am too. Thank you so much for having me on. I obviously love what I do and I have a real passion for where we live. So anytime we get a chance to talk about it, I'm just grateful and and appreciative that, uh, you know, I really do hope we can add value to uh, to people's journey as they, they begin this or carry on. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Randy. Thanks for the chat. Cheers. 